and welcome to episode 13 of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and it's been a couple weeks. Well, it's actually been longer for me, but uh, it's been two weeks for you, unless you're listening to this episode first and then going back and listening to the other ones, or it's in the future and you're listening to all of them at once, in which case no time has passed. Generally, temporality is just a complicated issue of podcasting while being stuck in a linear time stream, so I don't really know how to address that to you future denizens of the podcast world. Will people even be listening to podcasts in the future? I don't know, man. This is a podcast about what it's like to be transgender and also what is time why time how how the whole point of this of this show is to just dive deep into the real hard-hitting philosophical questions like is time travel possible and if it is can i go to a time when i have boobs so, okay, i don't know how long this episode's going to be because i don't have a ton to talk about because a lot of the stuff I have a, a pretty big episode planned, but it kind of has to happen either next week or the week after just because of how timing worked out for some stuff, which I'll get into momentarily. So it is uh, February 9th in my world right now at this moment. It's like 2.50 p.m., you know. I just got back from campus. I was practicing piano because I'm in an intro piano course, and that's been kind of nice. I recorded some sounds there. Uh, the practice rooms are terrible because you got a bunch of different people practicing all kinds of fun instruments, and the rooms are quote-unquote soundproofed, which means they're, you know, paper-thin walls. And the pianos that they have in there are like standing pianos that have been there for probably since, I mean, if I have to estimate like the dawn of time. So they're not in the best position. I've tried four separate rooms with four separate pianos, I assume. They might be moving the piano in between days just to uh, just to throw me off. But every single one that I've tried has like sticky keys or bad sounds <laughs> what do you call those on a piano <laughs> it's a bad sound that's a traditional italian word for it out of tune so i just got back from that and i'm i've been mulling over what i wanted to talk about for a while uh so just as like a general update so i've been maintaining my body hair situation pretty consistently for what six seven months now and you know it gets tiring it takes a lot of time to do it and then you know it lasts a day maybe so i had another day of like really wanting to pluck hair and it always happens on my face but i resisted the urge because you know i can't do that before starting laser hair removal so i moved that attention towards my arms and after plucking a lot of hair on my arms, which sounds awful, but it was fine, I realized, hey, I'm basically just epilating at this point, so why don't I just fucking buy an epilator? So I did that. And here are my opinions about epilation. It's great when it's over. 
it's not just, you know, oh, wow, my skin is so smooth. It's also that it looks different because, you know, when you shave, the hair follicles are still in there and it just kind of makes everything look darker. Never quite feels like the hair isn't there. But when you pluck it or epilate it, which is the same essential thing. Ugh, this chair is so noisy. Ah, this fucking chair. I hate this fucking chair. Jesus. I'm going to rant about this fucking noisy chair real quick. I had an old chair that was fine. It was secondhand. Uh, it broke because I was too heavy for it. One of my roommates had this chair that was sitting in the garage. Why did it take me so long to find that word? But it was sitting in the garage and I traded it out at one point, but it's a little too small for me. But, you know, I was sitting in like a folding chair for a while and that was really frustrating. So I switched out to this chair and this chair... Oh, it's not making noise now. There we go. I gotta be, I gotta be slow. Yeah. Hear that baby squeal. Mmm. Which, the noise is fine, except when I'm recording a podcast. But the other thing is that it just slowly sinks sometimes. So when I sit down in it first, it always drops like a quarter of an inch. And then if I put all of my weight on it, it just starts slowly sinking. So I have to lean back. Mm, boy. So that my weight isn't all on just the center post. But when I've leaned back like this, every little motion... Well, except when I'm recording a podcast causes terrible noise so it's really annoying so there's really not a great way to sit in this fucking chair anyway epilation i like the way my skin looks it's like what i imagine skin looks like on people who don't have horrendous amounts of body hair so at this point i've done both of my arms and my lower leg Z, both plural i am prepping when I say prepping, I'm I basically mean like working my way up to doing a second go at my legs because hair is weird. Uh, it's not all growing at the same time or the same rate. So you have a lot of like thick, coarse hairs that are dark and you get those and it's like, oh yeah, I'm done, you know? my And then you rub your hand across your skin, which I'm doing for your benefit, I don't know. Uh, you realize like, oh, there's still a lot of hair there. That's weird. And there's just like a whole bunch of tiny little hairs that are like silvery. And they're a pain in the ass. I don't know what it is that these like tiny hairs have like thicker roots or something. But they, they're really like painful to get out. The hardest part was doing my legs. There are certain spots on your legs that are like really uncomfortable. And I've tried getting up to like my thigh area and like above the knee. And that has so far been intolerable. But the hair is probably longer than it should be. So I'm going to shave and then try again, I guess. It's weird depending on where you epilate on your body. So my arms, it was not really painful. I'm trying to think if there was anywhere that was like really uncomfortable. Uh, upper arms, particularly like the underarm area going up to the shoulder is really sensitive. But generally it's sort of, I don't even want to say it's like a pinch. It's just like this weird like tug 
that's happening in a bunch of spots all at once. And you almost don't feel it. And, you know, as somebody who has spent literal hours like plucking hair with a pair of tweezers, you know, I do that really fast. I've gotten pretty good at it. And the epilation is so much faster just in terms of how quick it gets a hair out of the root or whatever, out of the skin. I wouldn't even describe any part of it as like explicitly painful so far in the sense that you might think of something as being painful. Like there's, you know, oh, it's like stabbing your skin or whatever. That's what I think of as painful. And so when people describe, you know, epilation as painful, that's part of what kept me away from it for so long until I realized that I was basically just doing that anyway. It does get uncomfortable and it also takes a lot of time. I got like a really cheap one. My epilator was like $12. So part of whatever issues I'm having very possibly are coming from the fact that I got like the cheapest one I could find. I mean, it gets the job done for me so far. I'm trying to figure out if it's something that I'm going to continue doing in the long term because it is uncomfortable and it does take up a lot of time. But the upshot is your skin stays smoother for a lot longer. Now, I've been doing this for four days. So, I mean, that's make of that what you will at this point. It is really nice to just have the skin that you want to have and not have the constant reminder of the the fact that you're fighting against your own body, the sort of like testosterone strengthened hair that's everywhere. And here's an interesting thing. So I've been letting my mustache grow back, obviously, uh, after plucking the whole fucking thing about four or five weeks ago. And it is back but it's much thinner which is strange to me i mean and like there's a lot of really thick hairs that are totally back but there's just like the skin is just smooth there and there's been i i've i've been thinking about that like it's probably just that different hairs on different cycles whatever but one of the things i want to talk about today is sort of something i've mentioned in previous episodes and might have talked about at length at some point i don't know i don't remember i don't listen to this shit there is sort of a magical element to coming out as transgender and specifically exploring your own gender. Uh, Magical maybe isn't the right word, but there's a magical thinking or a non-traditional thinking that goes on there, at least for me. There is a part of me that's wondering, because I have felt like since coming out and since directing my thoughts towards transitioning, it has felt like my body has already started to make some kinds of changes nothing like particularly drastic obviously nothing that explicitly is a side effect of like going on estrogen so i am down weight wise i was at 256 pounds in let me look uh, uh yeah august 6 i was at 256 pounds and i was probably a lot higher in july because i had already been on my diet at that point for four or five weeks so now on february 9th i am down to 206 pounds so i've lost 50 pounds over the last six or seven months and i still feel like really overweight because my gut hasn't really gone away 
it's become less dense is I think the descriptor that I've I've arrived at because my waist used to be basically four inches lower than where your waist actually is. It's basically, you know, where I would wear my pants was directly below my gut. That's not the case anymore. And all of my clothes fit Some of my clothes fit better now. What's been really interesting is breaking out my winter clothes and realizing that, like, there are several of my favorite coats that straight up just don't fit me anymore. That was a big, like, eye-opener because... Despite the fact that I have numbers telling me, yes, I have lost weight, I still don't feel like I've lost a lot of weight. But when I put on this coat that, like, used to bulge out if I sat down and, you know, it, it would strain against the buttons, now it's too big. It's 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 too big. the the point of the point of that digression is in um, working on finding clothes and everything. I've realized that I have already kind of developed a slightly, slightly more feminine-ish shape. Or at the very least, I have a sense of the fact that that will happen once once I've lost more weight, once I've started uh, hormone replacement therapy. I, I have, a, I have a, a general feeling that once I go to the endocrinologist, I wouldn't be surprised to discover that I ha- already have maybe higher than average, I guess, estrogen in my system or something something else i don't know and that could just be my entire imagination and me like wanting wanting to feel special i don't know from a conversation with people uh, since coming out they have told me that like yeah you you kind of already have some feminine features and i've weirdly gotten a lot of compliments about the fact that i have pretty hands i don't know what that means what is a pretty hand? But I don't know how much of that's just in my head, how much of it's like wishful thinking, how much of it is just, this is how my body would have developed having lost as much weight as I have. I remember reading somewhere that when you're losing weight, your body is releasing more estrogen than normal, I guess, because what I remember is that fat stores estrogen or something. I don't... I haven't I haven't looked into it, you know, I don't know. I, it's it's one of those things that like I remember reading at some point and maybe it's true, I don't know, but I should. I should look into it. I should I am sitting at my computer right now. I should like bring it up and like google it, but I don't want to because I like to think that that's a thing. I don't know. Let me live in my ignorance. This isn't this is it isn't as bad as being a white supremacist. It's just me wishing that my body would cooperate with me for once. Just let me have this. But anyway, On that topic, I finally, finally, finally called this laser hair removal place and scheduled an appointment. So it's, it's, it's all happening. I probably should have opened the show with this, but it's, but it's all happening. It's starting. And that's part of the reason why I took the two week break. I I, I meant for it to be just one week, but it turned into a two week break because it took me a while to work up the courage to make that phone call in part because I'm a millennial and I hate talking to people and using the phone, but it was also like, it's a big step. And there's also the fear of like 
this is a, a medical spa type place. So probably the vast majority of the clientele are going to be uh, cisgender women. So, you know, there's, there's a fear of judgment there, but whatever. I finally made the call. I am scheduled to have my first session Wednesday morning. So, you know, five days away from now. I'm real excited. I can't wait to have less of facial hair. Here's another thing. Any Anytime I'm in a place where I can see like a guy with really hairy legs or really hairy arms, I get really uncomfortable. Like today in one of my classes, we were waiting to start this quiz and somebody sitting in front of me, you know, their, their pants were hiked up and I saw like the hair on their legs. And it was sort of this like, oh God, that's, that's how I've had my legs for the vast majority of my life. And I don't want to describe it as dysphoria. But it was just a weird feeling, like, you know, kind of a visceral disgust. I don't know how healthy that is, because <laughs> hair is perfectly natural. But it just, it's such a symbol of the way, I guess, the way that I've been putting it, like, my the war with my body. This very masculine function of my biology that hides the elements of my body that I like and want to emphasize. So, you know, I've been reading a lot about the effects of hormone replacement therapy and how that does thin hair. And to go back to the mustache thinning thing, one of the things is, you know, if you don't shave or if you just shave your hair uh, while you're on hormone replacement therapy, it will thin over time. But my understanding is that plucking or... Uh, epilating actively speeds up the process of, I guess, thinning the hair. And I'm not using the correct terminology or describing the actual process very well. Spoiler alert, the uh, the episode that I'm planning for next week is going to be all about laser hair removal, and that will be much more detailed than my incoherent ramblings at this particular moment. But all of that said, it is exciting to imagine a future where my body just sort of naturally stops putting hair everywhere, stops letting it grow. That's been on my mind a lot. I actually just today uh, shaved my chest again. I let it grow for a lot longer than I should have. I don't really know why. I've been kind of lazy about maintaining my body hair lately just because I've been very busy with school again and also my uh, my video series, my, uh, my YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk About Stuff. Also, quick plug, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash LTAS. If you like my stuff, you should go there and uh, check it out. Uh, maybe give me some money and help me do this for a living. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So I, I shaved my chest and everything. And when I, when, when, every time I do this, I, I always like... I, 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 I find myself sort of fixated on the, on the feeling of my skin. And there's there's this future that keeps coming to me of like it being naturally smooth. And I mean, hair will always be there. That's how the human organism works. The hair is natural, but it won't be dark and it'll be very thin. And it will be, you know, what people imagine when they See, imagine a cisgender female chest. That's really exciting to me. 
in a way that I can't quite like quantify. Uh, ContraPoints did an amazing video today, uh, not today, recently, that's very long, that's about autogynephilia and the uh, the assertion by TERFs and anti-trans people in general that, you know, being transgender, uh, specifically being a transgender woman, is all about a male sexual fantasy and that it has nothing, that, that it's it's all just, you know, guys dressing up in dresses and getting off to it, which ContraPoints does an amazing job of refuting that as, as, a, as a thing, both anecdotally and scientifically, but also comes around to this amazing point, which is that what adult makes a a big choice about their body and doesn't consider the sexual dimension. Even for me, who straddles the line between asexuality and gray asexuality, that's still something that's on my mind as I'm moving towards starting hormone replacement therapy is like there is a sexual dimension you know just because the fact that i'm probably going to lose my sex drive doesn't really affect my life it is a bit of knowledge that i have and it's an important thing to consider it's not wrong for me to find some aesthetic pleasure in the fact that i have smooth skin and going further from that like it doesn't make me some kind of perverted autogynophile to find i don't want to say sexual pleasure or arousal but a, a sexiness i guess in the, the 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 thought of becoming more feminine and that's not the only reason but it's a reason and it, that's fine people do things for a multitude of reasons and it's just fucked up that you know a, a cisgendered woman will dress just like a, a normal fucking person 99% of the time and then one day they're like you know what I'm gonna wear my cute shirt you know I'm gonna perk up my cleavage I'm gonna go out and maybe I want to pick up a guy but generally I just want to look nice you know damn I look good and that's 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 great that's fine but these it's 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 a clear example of of being hypocritical of not applying their criticisms to all people it's just you know when it's when it's when it's appropriate for their agenda also kind of an omnipresent thought for me is the fact that i i I really need to start vocal coaching or something and i'm 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 just kind of i'm kind of scared to do that i'm still really intimidated by the thought of presenting as female and there is there i did have the thought of like you know i'm planning to start hrt in april uh, right around the time i have my third laser appointment so i i know like by the time i get back from italy this summer i'll be a very different person physically and probably emotionally and mentally there is this sort of intimidation of like going to my professors and you know physically being a very different person and having to go through this process and also i don't know how i feel about trading out my entire wardrobe and all of this shit but the voice thing freaks me out I, I, I don't know how to feel about my voice and like naturally i i i go into this sort of tonality i guess i have a higher register than usual i've been told that my singing uh, the, where i my singing range is probably a lot higher i i find the higher range more aesthetically pleasing but when i'm when i'm talking conversationally you know i i tend to like to emphasize a point i tend to get kind of low and everything and you know i don't know if doing this particular register yeah i, I like this as, a, as an approach to uh, speaking out loud and I feel like it kind of lowers the energy a bit makes it a little bit more casual kind of brings everybody closer together you know once I've transitioned and I'm presenting as a woman is it appropriate for me 
to uh, continue using this register of voice? Or will I feel bad using this register of voice? You know, will I feel like this is like violating my femininity at that point? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answers to these questions. You know, it's weird. It's, 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 it's all of this is such a bizarre, unquantifiable journey. For my YouTube show right now, I am in the process of developing a very ambitious five-part video series about Twin Peaks. In the process of working on this series, I've also delved deep into David Lynch as a director, whom, if you don't know, he's, among other things, he's directed uh, uh, Mulholland Drive, Eraserhead, Inland Empire, Lost Highway, Twin Peaks, a lot of it. But he as a director is really fascinating because his movies tend to operate on a sort of dream logic where things just kind of happen and they're not narratively coherent in a traditional sense. David Lynch's films operate on dream logic, but it's internally consistent. It's not a chaotic mix of random things happening because whatever. It's not Andalusian Dog where they're just throwing in shit left and right just to try to freak out the audience. It's explicitly following a flow that David Lynch understands sort of intuitively, but it all fits together. So there is merit to trying to suss out what it all means. And that's what makes his films so incredible and so interesting is the fact that kind of anything that you bring to the table, you can make it about that like his movies are about what you think they're about he's even said whatever you think it is about that's correct and what i realized after i started watching his movies you know in july and august i basically binged all of his movies i have now seen all of his films except inland empire and i'm sort of saving that for a special occasion as i watched all of his movies i i felt like this identification with his type of work it speaks to me on a very particular level not just because they're like great movies but because there's something about them that i understand that that feels like it's the art that i want to make and that's sort of the big thing is once i started looking into david lynch and his approach to filmmaking i realized that like he does things the way that i do them but what i found out about david lynch is that he is big into transcendental meditation and he does this twice a day the way that you're supposed to i'm very used to the idea of the director as a tyrant you know, you think of Stanley Kubrick or Alfred Hitchcock. These are people who literally tortured some of their actors. They're, they're female actors, specifically. Uh, look into how Shelley Duvall was treated uh, while they filmed The Shining. It is horrific. But there is the sense of, like, the true auteur is somebody who doesn't care about the human element of their their, their cast or crew or whatever. It's just, you know, you got to control them until they give, they give you... The thing that you want, you know, Kubrick is known for doing hundreds of takes and exhausting his actors until they're incapable of giving any other performance besides the one that is perfectly genuine for that moment. And then those people never want to work with him again. I expect from the way that David Lynch's films the way that they're so painful and, and, and violent and dealing with such dark aspects of human nature that he would be one of these people. But watching footage of him on set, reading him write about his process, it's like he's the nicest guy in the world. He builds like this beautiful connection. The whole thing is just so interesting and strange. 
And it was a big finding him. The reason why I'm so obsessed with his work and why I've put so much time and effort into reading about him and finding out about him and tracking down all of these things is that it's it's sort of the first time when I I found an artist who really creates the way that I do and realizing that I'm not doing it wrong. There's like incredible validation in seeing somebody do things the way that you know, you do them. And along with that, there's this spiritual element that's been overcoming me to the point now where I've actually looked into starting transcendental meditation. And that's something that's, I'm probably going to at least go to some meetings and and see. I'm not a religious person. I've always kind of described myself as spiritual. I used to say I'm an atheist, but that's never really been accurate because again, the way that I, I, I do stories is sort of the way that I do life. I follow my whims. I kind of act on instinct. I try to be sensitive to my connection with the world around me. And it's difficult to maintain. And my depression has, has, has made it a lot more difficult. And a lot of the last few months has been me trying to reconnect with this element of myself. Just to give you an example of kind of where my thoughts are, and maybe this will be enough. Part of rediscovering the sort of spiritual element of my my thinking or my life has been coming out as transgender because, you know, I'm 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 changing my body. I'm I'm literally changing the shape of my body in very specific ways. I'm changing the way that I appear to other people. It's not just a biological change, it's a sociological change. It's a psychological change. There's been a, a marked shift to where I have started thinking of myself as a woman. So it's something that I feel like it doesn't doesn't get covered enough and uh, I'm not going to be able to talk about it as much as I want to because this episode has already gone on long enough. I think it puts a bit of a lie to the concrete way we think about identity. I'm heterosexual or I'm a man or I'm a Democrat. I'm an American. All of these things are transitory. It's not as clear as, you know, we would like to think. I'm a man until I realize I'm a woman or until I realize I'm neither. I'm heterosexual until I find myself attracted to somebody of the same sex. I'm not a particular believer in the idea that these these categories are concrete. I'm far more interested, invested, encouraged by the idea that since everybody falls on this spectrum, nobody is really at the extreme ends of the spectrum. Which is not to say that a a heterosexual person should feel pressure to engage in homosexual whatever, or that a heterosexual or homosexual person shouldn't feel completely and 100% secure in the concreteness of their identity, whatever. I feel like it's dangerous to put everybody into these boxes. And, and say, this is what I am for always and forever. As I'm transitioning, I do have this sense that I'm going to be transitioning for the rest of my life. And to me, that's kind of a blessing because it's, it's a continuous process of self-discovery. Part of why I've had such a hard time the last few years is that everything started crystallizing. Everything around me became solid and clear and you know, as I tried to get the things that I thought would make me feel better, none of it, none of it worked. And I decided that this was who I am and it wasn't and it isn't. 
and I don't know who I am now. And I'm I'm kind of glad. I, I I like this this feeling that everything is is in motion. Nothing is ever permanent. I I think a lot about <laughs> trees. You look at a tree. Well, okay. I I, I just wanted to make sure that I, 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 I so I've been working on this fantasy book. There is sort of a, a, a Buddhist light teacher who is training one of the main characters whose name is Asuka. I, I have this little notebook that I scribble sort of thoughts and stuff about this book. I don't know how much of this is going to make it in. It's sort of just to help me understand this stuff. And it's also kind of my own thoughts on these things. So I'm just going to read you this sort of older monk character. His name is Olin. I'm just going to read you this speech that I wrote. Yeah, I'll go. I'll just read the whole fucking thing and then we'll probably call it good there. The life of this world is not a bounty from which we pluck the fruit we most desire. Those nations of human beings work to separate themselves from their surroundings, to categorize and delineate the boundaries separating object and subject. But all the universe as a whole, Asuka. I ask you, what is a tree? And you may point to that tree over there and say, that is a tree. But have you answered the question? You've told me only that that which is called tree is that which is called a tree. You have pointed at a thing and uprooted it from the universe into a void of ideas. But the tree does not stop at the ends of its branches or the lengths of its roots. It grows in soil that gives it soul. It absorbs light that gives it life. It drinks water from the sky and breathes a holy breath of air. Its branches provide nesting place for birds, its hollows a shelter for squirrels. Spiders spin webs across limbs, and caterpillars make food of its leaves. When the spring brings bloom, the bees and honeybirds carry its blood to new lands. Its seeds are given to all manner of life, which they spread freely. That which dies enriches the soil and feeds the tree, which brings life again across this wheel. Tell me where the tree stops and the bird begins, Asuka. Show me where one ceases to be inextricable from the other. It is the same for us. We are nothing without the gift of air, of ground, of substance and nutrients. We are no more masters of this earth than a spider is master of the tree. Yet we all receive these gifts and do as we are compelled. And in our time, we live, feel, and die. And the wheel spins on. Sometimes, yes, there is violence and pain and misery, but it is within us to recycle that hate and transform it into something new. We choose to be consumed by that poison. We are tasked only with living, and we must, in our way, accept and embrace the totality of this life in all its complications as a whole to which we and all belong. (laughs) 